Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. We are in a brand new um, sermon series called Christian vs. Disciple, right? And um, I have the pleasure of kicking this off. Pastor Jeremy came up with the name. Y'all get it, him, if you think it's weird. But one of the things we want to do is we want to kind of, um, you know, we want to kind of jab at the word Christian and what it, what it means. It's, uh, I'm a Christian. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you're a Christian. But in American society, this word Christian has become loaded with a whole lot of other things or whatever, right? And so it doesn't, also, it doesn't always mean disciple of Christ anymore. It means a lot of other things. And so we want to kind of unpack that and kind of push on it a little bit and do a little bit of this versus thing or whatever. And I'm going to just preach this and we're going to let the Lord kind of take us where it goes, right? But um, I'm going to kind of start talking about atheism a little bit, right? So atheism is just disbelief in God. And so last night I was watching this. Um, y'all know who Ray Comfort is? Who knows who Ray Comfort is? He's the guy that does all the videos, like where he pretty much, he's kind of apologetics and he challenges people on like, you know, the atheism or whatever the case may be. But I was watching a, video, a book, the other, his video the other night, and the tactic he uses, he's on a college campus and he runs up to everybody and he's like, you know, can I, can I talk to you or whatever? Can I question you? And he goes through his whole deal and he says, yo, look at this book. And he's like, hey, he's like, yo, when, do you think it's possible for this book to have just kind of came out of nowhere? colors, everything else, um, commas in the right place and the sentences and everything. And everybody's like, no, that's absolutely crazy. You got to be out of your mind to believe something like that. So then he's like, well, you know anything about DNA? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I know a little, bit, a little bit about DNA. And he's like, you know, DNA or whatever is so crazy, whatever that has your genes and, and telling the cells what to do and everything. And it determines your hair color, eye color. He's like, it's literally like your manual. You know what I'm saying? With everything about you in it. It's, it's completely written out. It looks like code, right? And people are like, yeah. It's like, it's crazy. And so then he always asked him, he's like, do you think that it would be possible for that to just happen and be written so specifically? And they go, no, that would be crazy than anything. And then he challenges them. He's like, so there must be a God or a creator or an intelligent designer, right? Y'all never seen any of these videos before? Y'all need to get on your YouTube game, man. Y'all been doing praying and stuff? All right. I'm just playing with you. I'm just playing. All right. But yeah, so he kind of goes at them or whatever, right? So I'm just telling you all this or whatever because it just started me pushing on the atheist thing before I was just diving into my sermon or whatever and going in at the Christian, the cultural Christianity. That's where I'm going to end up at. But anyway, as I'm looking through this stuff, I, I go from these conversations, and then I go to this one guy, um, Richard Dawkins, right? You ever heard of Richard Dawkins? All right, so Richard Dawkins or whatever, he's the scientist, and he's intellectual atheist or whatever and stuff, and he has all this influence in the world, and he's like completely anti-God and everything else, and I'm watching this video of him at this conference, and he says like everything comes out of like nothing, right? And the people snickered in the crowd and everything, and they're like, even his followers kind of snickered. They're like, man, what, like, what are you talking about? And he's, and he's trying to make this point, and he's just talking in cir circles in all of this intellectualized psychobabble, right? 
And so I'm watching this, and I'm just like, and I'm just going from article to article to article, and I'm watching people push their point. And I wish I had something profound to tell you that they said, but it pretty much was all the same thing. It all was baseless. It was just, there is no God. And if there is no God, then there is no Jesus. That's what the whole point of the whole situation was. It was just war against the truth of God. You get where I'm coming from? And so I'm looking at that. And then I start doing my research on, on cultural Christianity, which is what we're going to be talking about, right? Cultural Christianity is this. It's a religion that superficially identifies itself as Christianity, but does not truly adhere to the faith. A cultural Christian is a nominal believer. He wears the label Christian, but the label has more to do with his family background and upbringing than any personal conviction that Jesus is Lord, right? So they retain an affinity for the pop culture of Christianity. They basically rewrite the script of the gospel to accommodate their appetite. They edit the word and walk in its shadow, but avoid the light of the word found in Christ because it would expose and demand repentance. Y'all with me? So it's cultural Christianity. I'm going to give you a heads up real quick. This is going to step on your toes a little bit because we live in America, whatever, and just it is what it is. The cultural Christianity, all that, whatever, the little games that get played, it seeps into all of us. You feel me? It seeps into all of us or whatever. So when you hear this, don't fall into condemnation, fall into conviction because as children of God, we get to walk in his grace, right? We get to hear the word. That's the difference between being a cultural Christian instead of casting off conviction, we get to step into the light and go, Lord, you, you called me on this one. I'm slipping. And we get to walk into repentance, right? So that's what I'm hoping this word is going to do. It's going to be a little sharp, so I don't want everybody to feel crazy or whatever, because I was feeling a little crazy when I was saying, I was like, dang, that ain't me. You know what I'm saying? But it's always me all day, right? But we're in a free nation, and it doesn't cost us anything to wear the title Christian. Matter of fact, it's expedient, right? It's beneficial, you know what I'm saying? You go somewhere, whatever. How many times you've been somewhere and you heard somebody like doing an interview and they were like, NPS, he's a Christian. Give him the job. You know what I'm saying? Like it can get you paid today. You know what I'm saying? All of that. It's straight up. You got the Christian music industry, all type of stuff. You can make a good career or whatever. Throw Christian on it. I know cats or whatever. They don't know nothing about Jesus if you hit them in the head with them. But they need deep in the Christian industry. Phil, am I lying? We know a bunch of them. Straight up can turn into a game real quick, right? So here's the thing. So if we go far left or whatever on the pendulum, you find the atheist, right? And then you go to the far right, and you're not going to find the cultural Christian. You're going to go back to the far left by the atheist, and you're going to find the cultural Christian. This is the nerve I want to hit today, right? Because when I was listening to Ray Comfort, and I started looking to my man or whatever, um, Richard Dawkins and all that, my bad. You know, these MacBooks, they be doing all type of cool stuff. Sometimes you don't even know it. You just do some cool stuff and don't even know it. All right, cool. All right, so, but when I'm, when I'm looking at it, I'm, st- I'm like, look, I'm like, man, yo, they operate off the same game, right? We, put, we, we usually take the atheists and we put them in this crazy, like, y'all, wow, yo, y'all crazy over here not to believe in God. But the cultural Christians running off the same cylinders. You understand what I'm saying? Just because we have affinity for Christianity and the joint is kind of cute or whatever, and we can walk around and tell people we're that, and it helps our Pharisee game, we're still kind of in the same box. We ain't even kind of in the same box. we most definitely in the same box, right? Y'all with me so far? Jesus declares the eternal outcome of the atheist and the Pharisee to be one and the same because it's the same heart 
right? It's the same idolatry of self. It's the same appetite for destruction, right? It's, it's the same thing that actually tramples on the truth of God, tries to take the benefits of God and run with it. But we don't actually want your Jesus. We don't want to actually see ourselves. We don't have to, want to have to walk in the light because it'll expose where we're at. And if we on me, me, me time. It's, it, 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 here's the thing. I call it an appetite of destruction because what do we have if we don't have Jesus? Do you get where I'm coming from? If we don't have the light of the world, the gospel that redeems, what do you actually have? Like, like as believers, there's not this place where there's not this gray area where we slide and it's like, if I just kind of roll right here, I'll be straight. There's this one area where we come before the cross and we're found as sinners and we confess our sin and our need for Jesus. There's, there's, there's not other angles of that. Do you, y'all get where I'm coming from? I just want, like, and the reason I'm pushing this really, really hard is because the reason cultural Christianity is something that has taken America, and this has always been the case since its inception, but the reason is is because we started kind of veering off course and kind of going off the lane, and nobody said nothing. They let the car kind of ride, right? We didn't have any bumper rails in place. It's not that we're better than anybody else and we don't all drift a little bit, but you got to have these bumper rails called the word of God that kind of go, no, homie, you kind of cross is getting a little, little blurry to you and getting a little weird. Let's get back on, on course, right? So I'm not talking about us being the good people that have it down pat, and I'm, t- I'm talking about us being the people that put in practice submission to the cross and to the word of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a difference. We all are contending in our flesh against the spirit of God we have, right, as believers, all right? If you're a non-believer, right, if you don't have the spirit of God inside of you, you're not contending against anything, right? You're just rolling as you roll. Lost is just lost. Before I met Jesus, I love doing Satan stuff. I love it, right? And even to this day, my flesh still has an appetite for it. So I'm at war, as the Bible tells us. You get where I'm coming from? But in the middle of this war, I have, so, I have to have something that is my bottom line, and it's the Word of God. I don't come up with it in my head. I don't start to depict because now I'm my own God at that point. Because if i got to make my line for the bottom line, it's going to be ugly out here. You get where I'm coming from? So we, as disciples of Christ, we follow the Word of God. This is what God gave us, the living Word to follow, right? So this is what we're dealing with. It's Isaiah, Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's clear. Everybody, all of us, gone astray. We've all fall, fallen short. And the gospel is that our iniquities have been put on Jesus Christ, Right? For our forgiveness, right? Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. <laughs> Excuse me. Let me read that again. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death, right? Because if you're, whether you're the atheist or you're the cultural Christian that is willing to trample the word of God, right? You have to destroy the truth of Christ in order to progress your truth, Right? You have to rewrite the book. You have to deem it fallible. You have to block out certain things to write your own truth, right? I was sitting with somebody I love a whole lot um, just recently, and um, 
And so they're pretty much living just a lifestyle that's just sinful. And we were talking plainly about it and just going back and forth and everything. And it wasn't a hostile conversation at all. We were just speaking about what was going on with them and the word of God and everything else. And, and, um, and so when we're talking about the sin they were kind of trapped in, I said, so what do you do with these scriptures right here? I'm like, it's, it's, it's laid out right here over and over again. So what do you do with that? And their response was, I just don't read that part. So I just don't read that part. And, and, and it hurt. It hurt. I'm not saying that to lift them up and throw a rock at them. I'm just like, man, I love them. So I'm concerned and worried about their soul. You get where I'm coming from? Matthew 7, 21 through 23 says this. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on the day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers, right? So it's very clear in the Bible that this is what's been happening forever. It's what Christ was contending with. It's what Paul was contending with. There's always been this thing where the enemy has been creating this gray area that looked cute, but was a million miles from the heart of Jesus. Y'all see what I'm talking about? It's hard to listen to this. It's heavy because it makes you have to kind of take inventory, right? Y'all feel that? It makes you have to take inventory. But we're talking about eternity. So this isn't child's play at all, right? We're talking about Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, dying on the cross. Like this thing we do, being followers of Jesus, this Christian thing, it was never a game. It was, a, it was bloody from the get-go. It was never a game. It's not a game. There is no customization when it comes to the cross comes in one color, blood red. So in our cultural Christian thing we do, we customize everything. We customize where we go to church, who we, who we will allow to lead us, what we think the mission is and what will work for, for us. Um, we customize everything. We've done away with being called, with following, with being sent. Instead of being servants, we want to be served, right? We want to be served. God tells us in the Word, He says, man, he says the, the leader is going to be the biggest servant. But like with our cultural Christianity, we flip the whole game around. And it's like, nah, the leader is going to be the one getting served the most, right? But disciples of Christ. We look inside of the Bible and we see Jesus with the disciples. And he calls them, yo, follow me. They follow. He walks with them. He talks with them, right? And then he sends them. He tells them, go. Tells them to go spread the gospel. 
And when, you, when you're reading the word and you're reading about, you're watching this thing happen with the disciples and, and them following Jesus, you start getting this sense. You're like, yo, you don't, it looked like they had a little fishing career, like they was getting money. They just left everything. Like Christ called and they just left. It's like all of a sudden when they hear the word of God and he speaks to them, all their priorities just get flipped down and it goes from them up here to like, to Jesus up here. Like, Lord, what would you have us to do? Like, God, we... They don't even get the whole picture, but they sense like, I think you got the truth in the words of light. And so they just follow. They just follow, right? Let me read something to you really quick. This is Luke 9. It says, and he called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. You know, one of the things I like about this scripture right here, right? Because when he's talking to the disciples, and it's like he's sending them out, right? This is like they're brand new, they're fresh or whatever, right? He lets them know, yo, rejection is going to be part of this straight off the bat. It says, wherever they do not receive you. He already tells them what time it is. Some people are going to be spitting in your face. Some people are going to have you running out of town with torches and all that, with tiki torches from Home Depot. It doesn't say that. I'm just playing. But anyway, you didn't get it. All right. But God is not naive about what we deal with as believers, as followers of Christ. He didn't sell us this story. He didn't sell us this thing where it's like, yo, you don't get rich when you follow me. You, find, you, you don't get the biggest. You, he didn't sell us this right here. He didn't give you a pimp my ride. I'm about to do some crazy stuff. Like he didn't. That wasn't. That's not how he qualifies riches and crazy. Right. He says he's the bread of life. So when he talks about the come up, he's the come up, right? He's the come up. He, he's it. I'm the jackpot. That's what he's saying. And so the disciples, because they're fully, their eyes are wide open, they're like, we're following. We're following. They didn't take it and try to remix it and do this other thing and make them into something they want to follow. They had to take it as it was, Right? But he tells, he tells us from the get-go. Luke 9, 23 says this right here. And he says, says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will a son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Right? So the disciple of Christ is anchored in the promises of God here and now just as well as in the eternal promise to dwell with the Lord forever, right? So there's this thing where our riches are, number one, we have it. We, we, we believe in Jesus Christ, so we're instantly rich, right? We're filthy rich all the time, on the worst day, all of that stuff, right? We're rich because we have Christ Jesus. 
we're, we're good. Then there's this eternal promise where he's like, yo, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what I have for you. Right. And there's this eternal promise where he says all of this injustice and all this brokenness. And as I call you to suffer with me, one day I'm going to make everything that's broken right. I'm going to make it all right. Right. There ain't nothing you looking at that you're mad about on earth that God's heart is not broken for. And nobody has went as far as actually dying for it and laying their life to see it redeemed. Do you get where I'm coming from? He says, deny yourself. The idea is that we've grasped something that's so valuable that we would actually even take our own selves and actually see ourselves as nothing, right? But it's not something we actually do in our own flesh. It's something that can only be done through the Spirit of God. It's something where we are saved by grace, right? This is what it's talking about when it's talking about being saved by grace. Where God does something in our heart. None of us if you can taste the beauty, when I'm, when I'm speaking and I'm talking about this thing where God is so beautiful and you hear that and you go, uh, I feel you. It's not even yours. It's not even yours. It's what God has actually done in our hearts as a gift, right? There is a future hope. And it enriches in the now, right? Let me read this right here. Because it's costly. This call to be a disciple is very costly. Right? It's costly. And the path to it is very clear. It's through Jesus. There is no remixing it. There is no trying to take it and, and dress it up the way we would like to have it. It's in the word, right? And when our heart is actually regenerated and changed, we say, Lord, what would you like? Right. So like everything changed from this thing where, Lord, this is what I want you to do. Right. Like he's the genie in the sky and he just it works to make us feel happy and smile and everything else, which he does love us. And he does love to see us smile most definitely. But he's called us to a battle. Right. And so we end up in this place where we go, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? Right. Second Timothy two says this. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will, not be, who, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldiers get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted, enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of crops. Think over what I say for the Lord will give you understanding and everything, right? This, this verse is so crazy, right? It's so crazy because, first of all, it starts like this. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It, you don't have to feel pressure on your back when I'm talking about what I'm talking about. Because it's not on you to go ahead and just jump and go, I got to get on my stuff and be super Christian. What, what, what a response to this word would look like is say, God, I don't have it in me. And I'm actually guilty of a lot of this stuff. Right? right? Because when I was working on my sermon last night, I found myself on the side of my bed in just deep repentance. I'm going to just keep it real with you. I didn't type this up like, yeah, they need to get right. I was on my knees like, Lord, have mercy on my soul. Forgive me. Actually 
take where I come up short, Lord, by your power, pull me forward to follow you, Lord. Please, please, let, let me feel the weight of people not knowing you and be compelled to walk it. Like, let, let me not be able to just run it off of my lips, but Father, let me feel that thing where I'm compelled to, to, to be loud and proud and scream out your gospel more and more. There's no superheroes in the room. All of us are going to have to fall on our knees before this type of word, right? Amen. But I'm just thankful for the word when I read this because when it's talking about being what we would call a Christian, not a cultural Christian, it's, very, it's a very different thing. It's not this vague thing. He, he, he's, he, he's hitting you straight off the bat. You have to be strengthened by his grace. There is no doing this in your flesh. So don't even waste your time even playing that game. Don't even, don't even do it. Just submit, right? And in verse 3, <coughs> I'm going to do verse 4 and 5 first, right? No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So they're not, they're not playing like in the kiddie pool here, right? They're talking about being like soldiers. They're talking about like, yo, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We, we're actually not running after civilian pursuits because we're actually soldiers. And that means that we actually have orders and we actually have a calling. That means we're actually up to something different than the rest of the world is actually doing. Right? It means we're actually up to something different than what the cultural Christian is trying to do. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. I'm like, no? No soldier? Not one? It's pretty emphatic, right? Since their aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So it doesn't even tell you this, like get your stuff together. It still puts the weight of your position as a soldier in your relationship with the Father. Right? Since we please, since we aim to please the one who enlisted him. It's not your aim. Right? The aim is something, if you want to work on your aim, you work on it by giving for the cross of Jesus Christ. Right? The Bible says as we see Christ clearer, then our heart is transformed. It's amazing. It just does this thing where you find yourself in a different place. It just does this thing where you, all of a sudden, certain things that didn't hurt you before actually hurt a little bit, right? They actually begin to hurt, and they actually begin to change and move how, how you live as you're being sanctified. And in verse 3, right, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Everybody wants the soldier of the Lord tea, right? Who doesn't want it? Everybody wants the tea. But actually getting... In the game, it's a whole nother thing. But God is good because he doesn't play around with it. He doesn't, he doesn't give us blurry messages. He doesn't give us stuff that, uh, I think it looks something like this. This is very straight to the point right here. And so it, it, would, it would benefit us to take the word of God very, very seriously as soldiers of Christ. That's all I'm saying. This, the cultural Christianity where... It's shaped more so about the culture and all of these outside narratives. 
versus the narrative of Jesus Christ on a bloody cross, we need to be very vigilant about protecting the gospel, protecting ourselves, protecting our family from it, right? And I get it. Rejection is hard. Suffering is hard, right? But God's empowering grace is all we have and it's all we need to follow. In this place of need, we see the beauty of Jesus and we can be transformed even more. And we will actually know true blessing in our suffering, right? This is what we need to not forget. Christianity is fundamentally disruptive, right? So Terry Eagleton says this. says, the form of life... I ain't even want to read this. I almost was like, I'm not even going to read this today because this just messed with my head too much. Like, this would probably sit me on my knees right here. It says, the form of life Jesus offers his followers is not one of social integration, but a scandal to the priestly and political establishment. It is a question of being homeless, propertyless, to slow up a little bit, peripatetic, celibate, socially marginalized, disdainful of kinsfolk, averse to material possessions, a friend of outcasts and pariahs, a thorn in the side of the establishment, and a a scourge of the rich and powerful. Cultural Christianity don't tell you that story. They don't tell you that. They don't tell you that. Sounds like suffering to me. It don't sound like the Christianity I've seen most of my life. I thought we'd just get cute or whatever and just throw on some church hats and just yell and all that. They ain't telling me nothing about hanging with pariahs and outcasts. Matthew 5.11 says this. It says, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I guess when we normally read stuff like this, we just think like this must be some old time stuff, right? Like how does this play out today? Because everybody wears the badge of Christian, right? Our leaders, everybody, everybody's is whatever. It's like, you know what I mean? But the disciple is called the decrease that God may increase, right? So a cultural Christian rejects the decrease that gives God the glory, gives glory to God. They'll perform the religious activities and may even perform us under the table as it pertains to works and disciplines. But if it's not for the glory of God and birth through what we see on the cross, it's ultimately self-glorifying. God is not trying to make you a worker bee. He wants to make you his child, Right? This is why we see the Pharisee inside of the temple running his resume off, right? Because his cultural Christianity in that day, which is the same as today, is based off of all of his works. So he's like, thank you, Lord, that I pay my tithes. Thank you, God, that I do this. Thank you, God, that I do this. Thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people. So he believes his righteousness is where he stands, how he walks, how he talks, what he does, and he thinks that somehow he's actually earned credibility with God, and it's not the truth. Sounds so silly, but we actually, this is, this is, if you talk to anybody and ask them in the streets, what is it to be a Christian? The first thing they're going to do is start talking to you about works. Am I right? If you go out to evangelize, the hardest 
you, you run up on an atheist, you're going to have a way easier time telling them the gospel than you will to a Christian that is like a, a cultural Christian who's like, no, I got it. Like, no, I'm on top of my stuff. Yeah, I just prayed today. Mm-hmm. Yep, three hours every morning. Yep, you want to get on the prayer call? Want to get it? You want to hit me up? Yeah, man, yeah, I'll pray this whole city to his needs. What? Who wants it? And you, you know what I'm saying? He's just like, ah, okay, all right. And then you, then you walk away feeling condemned. Like, I, I, I can't pray through y'all. I'm sorry, brother. I don't know. But God is calling us to decrease, right? Who would gather that the way ahead is by going backwards? The way up is actually by going down, right? So you have... When I was reading some of these articles with the atheists and all these great thinkers of this day who completely try to undermine the gospel, um, some of the titles that, I, that they had that I just thought was kind of crazy or whatever, but like, so they're like the free thinkers and the brights or whatever, right? It's, it's kind of some of the names that they call themselves. And they, um, one of the words I kept seeing attached to these, the, the, these debates against believers and the gospel and this belief in God was um, like anti-progression, right? So they kept using this term like, you know, these people believe in these false gods and they're, and they're, they're, they're not for uh, progressiveness, right? And I'm just like reading this. I'm like, what? what in the world are these people talking about? And they're saying that like as Christians, we're like, we're blocking the next amazing frontier that, that's in, a, in, you know, in, in front of the whole world. We're getting in the way of it. You know, the freedom, the road to freedom or whatever, right? The next level of amazingness for mankind, right? And so there was this one guy they mentioned in the article, and he's actually on their team or whatever. Um, you know, so he, he's, he's, but he, he says that he's a Christian, but I started looking up his stuff and he wasn't a Christian. And so he's in this group of all these people that are high-minded and, 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 they're, and they're talking about, you know, evolution and Big Bang Theory and all of these different things. And there is no way that there's a God or there's an intelligent designer. And then this one guy steps in this conversation and he's like, you know, I kind of agree with these guys. And he's able to, you know, float in the conversation with them. But he says that, you know, he says, I kind of believe in God. But then I start reading his stuff and I'm like, he doesn't believe in Jesus at all. And he's completely rewritten um, this is anyways, a bunch of junk. But point being is this right here. The person writing the, writing the article is disgusted with this guy, right? And so he's like, this guy keeps bringing like, you know, this idea that he kind of believes in God or whatever into the conversation. And he goes, he, it, it's like a, it's, he goes, he says, it's like a limp that becomes more pronounced the more he gets older, right? That's what they said about the guy, right? And so it just made me think when I was reading it, I was like, man, it's like a limp. And I'm like, this guy's not a believer, but I actually do hope his limp becomes more pronounced, right? Because I'm like, maybe God is like messing with his heart a little bit, and maybe God is going to walk him into, you know, to, to, to salvation. I don't know. But I started thinking about, for us, like, to be a disciple is to have a limp. It's to have a limp or whatever. And the reason it's to have a limp is because when we talk about non-believers, when we talk about cultural Christi, uh, Christians or whatever we want to call that, I don't even like even use the word, but anyway, 
everything is about building up and increasing. So it's like, you know, we go and take baby in the corner or put Jesus in the corner, whatever you want to play it, and we put him in the corner so we can have our way, right? So we can have our way. We'll throw a little Jesus, a little seasoning on it, whatever, and everything so we can still feel like, you know, we're in his loving arms, even though it's not the truth. But I want you to think about this, right? Think about Peter. Peter was a disciple. And Peter's limp, if you just watch, his limp kept becoming more pronounced as, as, as the story goes along, right? So Peter's super gung-ho. Peter's like, yo, I'll cut your ear off. Straight up. You run up on my Lord, I'm taking your whole head off. For real. I'm going to get you the whole fade, part that joint down, you know, fade up or whatever. I'm going to give you the new hips to do real quick with the sword. Blum, blum, blum. He's on there. He's like, ride or die. Right? Jesus is having these conversations. Y'all hear me talk about this all the time. He's having these conversations with Peter. Peter thinks that he's on. He's like, I'm, I'm ready to ride, Lord. Let's get it. And even when Jesus is like, yo, I'm going to actually, they're going to kill me. They're going to take me and they're going to kill me. Peter's like, no way. Because when Peter's on this ride with the Lord, right, when he, he by the grace of God, he followed, but he had another narrative going on in his mind. Right? And the narrative went something like this. Sounds just like cultural Christianity today. The narrative is like, yo, we're going to rule and reign, and we're going to show everybody how awesome we are, and we're going to just kill it. You know what I'm saying? And I just know, Father Lord, like you're going to bless us, get us some awesome robes or whatever and all that. We're going to do the joint like Caesar do with the little flower thing around there. We're going to kill it. And he, 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 he was seeing something, but he, he wasn't seeing what was going on? Because Jesus is like, homie, you're going to die. You're going to die messing with me. He's like, that, that's what's really going on. You're going to die messing with me. You're going to lose yourself messing with me. It's going to get messier and uglier than you ever imagined in your life. But this is what it is to be a disciple. But Peter's like, nah. He wanted to paint his own story. I'm a rider, Lord. You don't understand. Like, I'll, I'm telling you, I'll take some, I'll kill him, whatever. Point him out. I'll get him. I'll drop him right now. This is, what he, this is what it is. Right? And so Jesus, in his love for Peter, he has to chin check him. Peter's like, Lord, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus is like, homie, them are my words, yo. Those are my words. They only belong to me. They only belong to me, right? And he has to check Peter. And he, and he tells me, he says, yo, you're going to deny me three times, right? By the time the rooster crows. Christ is thinking, Peter, you've been with me all this time and you don't get it? And Peter's thinking, Christ, you've been with me all this time and you don't get it? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm a killer out here. And next thing you know, Peter is denying the Lord, right? He's denying the Lord. He didn't want to accept that he had a limp. But his limp got big that night. You feel me? He deeply needed for God to show that to him. Because he deeply needed to understand that he needed a savior. 
right? Because if he doesn't believe he needs a savior, if me and you don't believe we need a savior, we start to make this deformed Christian cultural mess that is not the gospel. You get where I'm coming from? Where it says, blessed are the poor in spirit. All right? Abraham Lincoln said this. He says, we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand. We preserve, which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined in the deceitfulness of our hearts that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom in virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and persevering grace. Too proud to pray for the God, pray to the God that made us. We don't want a limp. We don't want to have a limp. We don't want to suffer the disdain. We don't want to be the person that needs, right? We want to draw the picture and paint it the way we want it to look. And it looks like us awesome, killing it, just loving the Lord every day, spending sweet time with him. Um, Shrill down on my prayer blog. It's awesome. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that stuff or whatever. I'm playing around. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just, it gets crazy when it just doesn't come from the right place, right? Luke 7, 36 through 50 says this. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. So Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table. A sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So he brought an alabaster jar, so she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet crying. She began to wash his feet with tears and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. Let me just take stop for one second. You know, there's certain scriptures, if you've been coming to the Ville for a while, there's certain scriptures you see me just read all the time. I can't tell you how many times I've read this scripture in here. And the reason I read certain scriptures over and over and over again is because I think they just, you know, when I, when I read this about this lady and what she's doing here, and I think about the Pharisee watching her, and this scowl he probably has on his face, he's like, have some dignity. You get where I'm coming from? And he, he thinks she's crazy. But he's actually missing it, right? And like, a part of me feels him a little bit. But I know I'm not supposed to feel him at all. And so I like reading scriptures like this because it exposes that you, you're not there yet. You still need Jesus. Because when you read this, do you, it, this, it, this hurts, right? It hurts. Let me just finish reading it. A sinful woman in town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. 
and stood behind Jesus at his feet, crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. And when the Pharisee who asked Jesus to come to his house saw this, he thought to himself, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know that the woman touching him is a sinner. And Jesus said to the Pharisee, Simon, I have something to say to you. Simon said, teacher, tell me. Jesus said, two people owed money to the same banker. One owed 500 coins and the other owed 50. They had no money to pay what they owed, but the banker told them both, told both of them they did not have to pay him. Which person will love the banker more? And Simon the Pharisee answered, I think it would be the one who owed him the most money. Jesus said to Simon, you are right. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has been kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. And listen to this. But the person who is forgiven only a little will love only a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The people sitting at the table begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, because you believe you are saved from your sins, go in peace. It's the decrease, right? When we talk about cultural Christianity and being a disciple, right? It's not a conversation about actions, tactics, being in, 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 in faithful work. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about repentance before a holy God, right? This, this is the difference. This is what one is avoiding the light, right? Avoiding the light because the light exposes Right? And calls us to repentance. The disciple, like Peter, he still was following. And he was getting checked. And he's being transformed. Right? He's walking in the light. There's this thing where God is perpetuating this sweetness and he sanctifies and he builds the disciple and the follower of Christ. But it's, it's not done in our strength. It's done as we are at the cross being exposed, right? We're, we're decreasing and he's increasing. So the beautiful thing in this scripture right here is when this lady comes in, what, she, what she's saying to the whole world, what she is doing that will have, that has us reading this thousands and thousands of years later, is God is making a monument out of her faith. Her faith that he is the king of kings, savior, lord of lords. And she, she, and, and, and she sees herself, her hair is to wipe his feet with, right? It's a complete jab at our society we can't grasp the idea of being brought so low but it's the truth 
Just because you can't grasp it doesn't mean it's not the truth, right? You are this helpless. We are this help or helpless. There's no way we can save ourselves, the Son of God. Father, he had to leave his throne, come down here, lay his life down, humble himself to become a man, right? That our sins could be redeemed and removed and placed on him, right? I just want to read this scripture to you, and I'm going to end with this. It's Acts 26, 16 through 18, right? It says, I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and bear witness to the things in which you have seen me, um, have seen me and those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles, to whom I send you to open their eyes, that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith. And me. This last part, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know, when we read scriptures like this or whatever, um, the scripture does not dance around anything. It just lays it plainly and it lays it clear. It is about the salvation. Um, it's about salvation. It's about the removal and the forgiveness of sins. But for some reason, we've like done this thing where like we read these scriptures and we act like it's talking about somebody else, right? Like it's like that's true. Like okay, cool. Somebody else needs to. But we have actually somehow in our mind drifted from this place where we're actually the poor people in this scripture that need a savior, right? And that we need a redeemer to come and wash our sins away. I just want to encourage you with when we when we look at the cross and we see Jesus up there and we see Barabbas, right? And Barabbas goes free. We're looking at that and we're like. You know, whenever I heard that, that the whole story of the crucifixion and I was just looking, I'm like, yo, why, how in the world would these people ask for a murderer to walk free in place of Jesus? But what was going on is that Barabbas had to go free because we're Barabbas. Do you get where I'm coming from? Like we're him. Like it's such a, it, it's such a injustice. It's such an injustice. But that's how scandalous the gospel is. That's how scandalous it is. And that's how scandalous we move forward. That's why we're actually, we don't assimilate into society. We actually, we disrupt it because we stand for truth. Right? We stand for truth. This lady on, 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 on the floor wiping his feet, what she is saying is that I'm actually guilty. And you're the truth. And you're salvation. So what does that look like when you live that out every day? What does it look like? What are the implications of when we believe the gospel? What does it look like when you go to work every day? It doesn't make you a boss. It makes you a servant, no matter what your title is, right? It just simply doesn't. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord.